Hi, Dr. Wecht. Yeah, I'm sorry about the confusion, uh, but my last email uh, says here uh, from you that confirmed for audio only. Yeah, sure, that's no problem. I would. Uh, the problem was is when I call your office, um, I can't do it through my computer, which I use to record. So um, it just won't take unknown calls. But I think I have a workaround. Are you ready to get started? Okay. Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. What is it you want to ask me about? Well, just about your book, The Life and Death of Cyril Weck, Memoirs of yeah, America's yeah. Most Popular. Sure. Okay, so sure, three, go ahead, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. I have a very special guest. His name is Cyril Weck, Dr. Cyril Weck, famous forensic pathologist. He's just published a book in September 2020 titled The Life and Death of Cyril Weck, Memoirs of America's Most Controversial Forensic Pathologist. I've read through the book in its entirety. It's an excellent book. Uh, there's a lot of information uh, about a very esteemed, uh, the l- very esteemed life of Dr. Weck. So, Mr. Weck, are you, or Dr. Weck, are you there? Uh, hi, hi. Um, nice talking to you, and thank you for uh, inviting me to participate in this. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate, agree. Uh, I'm grateful for you agreeing to the interview. You've written 45 professional books for doctors and lawyers. You also have other well-known titles, such as Final Exams, True Crime Cases from Cyril Weck, and Tales from the Morgue, but uh, for people who are uh, curious about your background, what led you to write this memoir about your life, Dr. Weck? Well, actually, I was being interviewed by uh, Jeff Seewald, who is my co-author on this autobiography, a a very experienced uh, fine writer uh, for a local magazine, and he suggested it a few years ago, and I said, gee, a great idea. And then I decided that coming... uh, toward the end of my career, I'm not retiring yet, I'm still very active with autopsies and medical legal consultations, but I thought, gee, uh, why not do this and uh, go through uh, past history, some of the uh, serious legal trials and travails that I have experienced, talk about the criminal justice system, and give reviews, uh, succinct uh, <clears throat> um, presentations of a couple dozen of my uh, famous controversial cases country and some from countries abroad. So we started to work on it and spent uh, many, many hours uh, me talking to uh, Jeff and, and we put it together. So, um, you know, I felt I kind of owed it to myself. <laughs> right. Well, it's a great book. I mean, it has many vignettes and comments from colleagues, family, friends, admirers as well. I highly recommend the book. Can you talk about these, a lot of people who may not know your uh, litigation history or the history of of what happened to you? Can you talk about that? Yeah, certainly. Well, which uh, what are you referring to specifically? Well, cases yes. or some matters that involved me. Uh, two uh, two matters of a criminal nature in which I was charged uh, uh, and had to go to trial. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, the latter, please. Yeah, sure. Well, the first one um, was uh, 1979 and 281 here in Allegheny County. The local district attorney and sheriff did not like uh, the idea of me as coroner conducting uh, open public inquest on all police-related deaths. Uh, they wanted to handle it themselves. Uh, you know, I was 50 uh, years ahead of, uh, my, of, of the times here with the George uh, Floyd uh, case uh, when I was coroner. I uh, made it a point to have a public inquest uh, presided over by a very prominent, experienced attorney, sometimes retired judges. In one instance, an expired Supreme Court justice. Um, every uh, case, whether it was uh, pursuit, arrest, uh, incarceration, 
uh, whatever, um, every such uh, death was reviewed. So they did not like that, and they brought charges against me. And uh, by the time uh, we came to the jury uh, from the uh, six charges, there was only one left. And within a matter of a few hours, uh, the jury put in me. But it cost me a lot of time and money and effort and, and so on. And the second one, which was much more serious, um, started in 2005. Um, and then continued on through into 2009. And uh, the U.S. attorney, uh, who was looking to get herself appointed to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, she already uh, was beyond the local federal bench, and uh, she was extremely ambitious and, and ruthless. Uh, and she filed 84 felony count indictment against me, 84. So two years after the indictment was filed, and just two weeks before trial, they dropped 43. Meantime, I had to pay my attorneys preparing for all of that. I went to trial, and there was a hung jury without me presenting one single witness. <laughs> my attorneys did a marvelous job, and many of their expert, uh, their their defense, their their witnesses uh, proved to be good <laughs> witnesses for us. So it was a hung jury, and they went up to the Third Circuit, and the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, three Republican judges, by the way, and I'm a Democrat. Um, they uh, sent it back and said that the case should be handled by another judge um, and with with less biased eyes, fresh eyes. And uh, then before that was argued, um, the government dropped another, uh, let's see, they dropped another uh, uh, 17, um, or no, 27, 27 more charges, and there were only 14 left, and the judge... Uh, the new judge wrote a scathing 55-page report and uh, dismissed it with prejudice. Uh, so you know, it cost me li li literally millions of dollars. My uh, attorneys, excellent attorneys from K&L Gates, um, they were gracious and they forgave me 6.2 million. So in other words, this cost me over $10 million, uh, four plus that I paid for, and 6.2 that I was forgiven uh, by... Uh, uh, the uh, very gracious and magnanimous uh, attorneys there at K&L Gates. So those are the two trials, and I talk about them. And the purpose of that is um, to show you how the criminal justice system can be corrupted, subverted, perverted, used malevolently uh, by people, uh, whether it's a personal or political um, uh, reason, whatever. Uh, you know, Americans are very naive. They think, oh, my God, Nothing like that ever happens in this country. These are only things that occur in those terrible totalitarian nations and so on. Well, uh, uh, it's regrettably far from being reality. Uh, right. You had power. troubles troubles with the FBI as well. And, uh, well, some the of these FBI was involved, yeah, involved in that it. federal case. Yeah, it was a, a disgraced FBI agent who had been booted out of the office in New Jersey, somehow sent out to Pittsburgh, and he came here and he hooked in um, with the local district attorney, uh, a longtime enemy of mine, um, and the, the U.S. attorney. Uh, they all had, you know, different different reasons, but they congealed, came together uh, for their own respective uh, purposes and objectives. But, uh, you know, I had the courage and tenacity and the wherewithal to fight it, and I did. And I succeeded. And they wanted you to plead guilty, too. They were trying to get a guilty plea out of you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? Within a matter of, uh, I think it was 
just days or so on, when my attorney uh, went to them to find out, they said, uh, you know, Dr. Rutgers, remember, 84 felony count indictment, and to show you how, how unscrupulous, rotten they are, they said, if Dr. Wick will plead guilty to one charge, one, um, that'll be the end of it. He won't go to jail, uh, won't be any fine or, or, or whatever. And uh, and I said, no, screw them. Um, and, uh, but that just gives you an idea of, uh, you know, they just threw uh, the saying goes everything against the wall and you hope that something sticks. Right, and you were kind of a well-known, not just a well-known coroner, but a political, you were involved in the political process. I don't think a lot of people know that much about your local political background. Uh, but yeah, Yes, I have been involved politically and had been elected as coroner uh, many times, uh, two separate tenure periods, um, during which I have been elected, I think, a total of six times or so on, um, three uh, at least in each of those tenure periods. And then I was the chairman of the Allegheny County Democratic Committee for many years, and um, I was a state committee man and a national committee man. Uh, in fact, I spoke at the 1982 Democratic National Convention. And in 1982, I was the Democratic nominee. I won the primary overwhelmingly and ran against the incumbent U.S. Senator uh, John Hines, <laughs> who uh, had uh, a few dollars to spend. Um, and, and I lost in 1980. But yes, I have been involved politically, and that uh, was part of the uh, part of the situation. Another part of it that played out, I'm sure, although uh, never acknowledged publicly by them, was uh, my uh, long-standing involvement with the JF, the JFK assassination. And I kind of think this is conjecture, admittedly, but uh, maybe, especially in that uh, federal case, they were being. Um, <clears throat> Catalyzed, uh, encouraged uh, by some people, uh, uh, maybe in the Washington D.C. area, that uh, weren't happy about what I've been saying uh, concerning the Warren Commission report since 1965. Right. And how did how did you initially get involved in analyzing the JFK assassination? <clears throat> Sections of the brain are not made in order to preserve the specimen 
preserve this specimen for whom? For Jackie Kennedy's mantelpiece? For her children or grandchildren? Unbelievable. The brain wasn't sectioned because it would have shown clearly that the president was struck in the head at two different times. One shot from the rear and one shot from the front. And that's what would have been seen with the hemorrhagic tracks through the brain uh, if it had been properly examined. And <laughs> so it wasn't. Uh, it was just a continuing cover-up. The autopsy being done by two pathologists, uh, career naval pathologists at Bethesda Naval Hospital, where the body quite illegally had been taken uh, out of the Dallas jurisdiction where the autopsy should have been done. Um, two hospital pathologists uh, who had never done a single gunshot wound autopsy in their entire careers. Never a single gunshot wound autopsy in their entire careers. And now they're given uh, the president uh, with multiple gunshot wounds. You've got to determine angle, range, sequence, trajectory, and then you've got to correlate all those wounds with the wounds in John Conley, Governor Conley. Uh, a very, very formidable task that two or three forensic pathologists working together um, would have required uh, several hours to handle. But all of the top civilian forensic pathologists uh, who, who were well known to the government were never called upon. Never. It was a military, uh, governmental controlled operation from beginning to end. And you were uh, one of the main kind of advisors for Oliver Stone's film. You, Jim Garrison, and Fletcher Prudy, is that correct? Yes, I was an official consultant to uh, Oliver Stone. Went down there to New Orleans where they were filming, and um, I'm the one that uh, got them to put in that marvelous uh, scene and which I use every time I give a talk on JFK assassination, uh, showing uh, how the president and Connolly would have been seated in the limousine, and how the uh, the uh, magic bullet, what they call the uh, hero, the single bullet theory, uh, would have zigzagged up and down and right and left, uh, going through um, Kennedy's back out his neck, moving upward, despite having been fired from the sixth floor window of the school book depository building. And turning in midair, going back, hitting Conley behind the right armpit, going through the lung, destroying four inches of the right fifth rib, exiting below nipple level. And there you see Conley holding his white Stetson hat after he's been shot. The Stetson hat is at the shoulder level. The bullet emerges below nipple level, hooks back up and around, goes into his forearm near the wrist, breaks the radius, one of the two bones, from the elbow to the wrist, exits from the front of the wrist, goes into his left thigh, never seen or found while they're operating on Conley. And then some hours after the president's entourage had left Parkland Hospital, a maintenance man trying to get to the men's room, finding the corridor blocked by stretchers, bent down, moved the stretchers, and lo and behold, there it was. Commission Exhibit 399, the hero of the single bullet theory, which they had to come up with because they had a real-time problem, a conflict, a seemingly impossible physical incongruity between the timing depicted in the Zapruder film and the timing required to shoot that piece of junk uh, considered to be uh, the worst weapon of a genre developed anywhere in the world, the Manneker Kirkhan non-automatic bolt-action rifle. And that was why they came up with the single bullet theory, which is a sine qua non of the Warren Commission report's conclusion vis-a-vis a sole assassin. If you don't have a single bullet theory, then you definitely have two shooters. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's been all about in terms of why I've stayed with us for these 55 years or so. Right, so that sequence in JFK where Kevin Coster's in court and he has the, the people seated in a chair, that's actually your presentation. Yes, yes, that, they did not have it in the, in the script when I went down and Oliver Stone gave it to me to read and uh, they, there was one error 
away, and that's a wonderful scene with Kevin Costner. And that also kind of brought you into other um, known American assassinations. You were called by Noguchi in L.A. after RFK was murdered. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Tom, who is a longtime friend and colleague still is to this day, although he's long retired, uh, Tom uh, called me in the middle of the night, three-hour time difference, to tell me that Robert Kennedy had been shot. Uh, he didn't need any advice on the autopsy, but he wanted to get my advice. We had become good friends as young men at the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. He wanted to get my advice and suggestions to make sure that they didn't spirit the body of the senator out of L.A. like they had done with the president in Dallas. And I advised Tom, uh, you be proactive, invited them to come in as your observers, and he invited three uh, military forensic pathologists to be there and things worked out quite well. So I was an advisor and I went out there and went to the Ambassador Hotel where Robert Kennedy was uh, shot and so on. And I've dealt with that. Another case uh, with uh, with cover-up, I'll ask you what I've, I've asked thousands of people over the years in multiple, multiple presentations. What what do you recall being the distance as there's a senator walking out through a kitchen area? They couldn't take him through the ballroom. He had just won the primary in California. They'd never get him out of there from his thousands of devoted uh, supporters. And so they said, let's go out to the kitchen. So he's walking out to the kitchen, and there's Sirhan out in front of him, and Sirhan uh, uh, shoots him. What was the distance that you would recall? Well, six feet, seven feet, supposedly? You're you're in the range, six feet, people say, six feet, eight feet, ten feet, twelve feet, two feet. The distance, you ready for this? And you'll find it in the autopsy board. This is not Weck's opinion. This is determined by Dr. Noguchi and and corroborated through ballistics tests, criminalistic shooting tests, and so on, as well as pathological studies. The shot that fired... Uh, that was fired, um, um, that killed Robert Kennedy, was fired one to one and a half inches behind and above the right ear with a slightly forward trajectory. Saran Saran was never one to one and a half inches away and never in such a position that the bullet would have moved forward. So you've got to be asking yourself, how the hell is this possible? What is Weck telling me? Well, it's possible. You know why? Because at the trial, Noguchi was never asked this by the direct, um, on direct examination, obviously. And then amazingly, on cross-examination, an experienced criminal defense attorney named Grant Cooper never bothered to ask Dr. Noguchi, what was the distance, what was the trajectory of that shot, Dr. Noguchi, that killed Senator Kennedy? He was never asked anything like that. Stinks to high heaven, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It stinks a lot. And you were also kind of friends, or you made an acquaintance with Harvey Oswald's widow, Marina, and George de Mornschultz. Can you talk a little bit about yes, that? Yes, yeah, you're, you're really on top of it. You're, you're right, you're right. Uh, I uh, had lunch with Marina and, and met with her, and had some correspondence since then on and off. And I met um, with George de Mornschultz at his home. He was a, a white Russian uh, emigre uh, who had become uh, some active in the oil industry, and for whatever reason, he reached out to Oswald, he said, because he felt sorry for Oswald after his two-and-a-half-year stay in Russia and so on. So uh, he befriended Oswald, and uh, interestingly, as that story began to unfold, and Dean Morinshield was on his way to Washington to testify before a Senate committee, stopped at his daughter's house in Florida, and conveniently committed suicide. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the story there. Right, and Marina, she never believed that Oswald was involved. No, no. Yeah, so. no. Yeah. She, she strongly and uh, and clearly, not, not 
And, I mean, one of the interesting things about the book is how many international cases you've been involved in. I don't think many people would know that you've been involved in all these international cases. Can you talk about those? Some fa- fascinating cases. I've had three in Israel, um, Singapore, um, Taiwan, um, um, Argentina. Brazil, Argentina. Oh, yes, I, I, I'm the first one that showed that... Uh, Alberto Nisman. Alberto Nisman. Alberto Nisman. Thank you. Um, uh, Alberto, the special prosecutor, who was going to give his testimony that he did not commit suicide, that he had been murdered, and that now is the official version. But up until that time, they came up here from Argentina and interviewed me extensively. And um, yeah, the other other fascinating cases um, from from abroad. cases uh, from Australia where they uh, said that some of these indigenous people, the Aborigines, had committed suicide. We showed uh, that that was not the case. And uh, yeah, very interesting. And people will find uh, these versions uh, in the book, uh, you know, the um, life and deaths of uh, the Cyril Weck uh, memoirs of America's <laughs> most controversial friends of uh, And then they can go on to read them. Um, in Toto, um, as you said, there are eight other books that uh, contain um, many of the cases that I have been involved in, including O.J. Simpson and John Benet Ramsey and Chandra uh, Levy, Waco Branch Davidian, right. Fire, and Gene Harris, uh, uh, Secretary of Commerce Ron Brown, White House Counsel Vince Foster. Yeah, they're they're all there uh, in in those books, and and most of them are are set forth. You know, in brief fashion, in in this book, uh, the life and deaths of Sarawak. It's just an amazing career you've had. I mean, you did the autopsies on David Koresh, and really yes, kind yeah, of Stephen Stephen Judy Schneider is lieutenant and top lieutenant, and his wife. Your your and I went down there and did those repeat uh, autopsies, and then uh, um, Lacey Peterson uh, and uh, and the newborn baby. And did second autopsies on them, and then uh, um, um, the uh, was Dan uh, Daniel, uh, you know the son, uh, you know in Bahamas. I went down to the second autopsy on. Um, it was Anna Nicole Smith. Anna Nicole Smith. Anna Nicole Smith. Thank you very yep. much. Thank you very much, Anna Nicole Smith. I did the second autopsy on Daniel Smith uh, in the Bahamas. I was going to do a second autopsy on her. And then they finally let it go too far, and the body began to decompose, and so on. It's another story. So yeah, these are the cases, uh, and uh, I touch upon them, and uh, they're fascinating to read. Um, and then, as I've already said and commented upon, you know, the background of my life, some interesting things growing up where I did uh, in this particular uh, district of, of, of Pittsburgh, and, right. and then the things I've talked about is corner. And you were kind of, your parents, uh, you were born in kind of an outlying area of Pittsburgh, right? Your parents were... Yes, I was born in an outlying county. It's close to the West Virginia border. We lived there for one year and then uh, <clears throat> for seven years um, in a, um, a part of Allegheny County, a suburb of Pittsburgh. And then we moved to the what is called the uh, Hill District, Lower Hill District. It's uh, just on the edge of downtown Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, it's an area that was populated um, largely, overwhelmingly, 
by uh, immigrants that are first generation. My father was from Lithuania, my mother from uh, Kiev, Russia, which is now Ukraine. And uh, that's where I grew up and went to school. And um, it was very interesting too, and I talk about that uh, also in my relationships in the African-American community and all the cases that I handled, as I've said, involving uh, cases of an egregious nature which people have finally begun to recognize and appreciate in light of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and uh, and others um, and in these you know in the past year or two. Right, and you had there were specific cases of police brutality in Pittsburgh that yep. never made the national media, but these kind of things no. have been happening. Yeah, exactly. Johnny Gamage, uh, one case uh, did did get covered somewhat. Um, he was the first cousin of Pittsburgh. All pro Steeler tackle Ray Seals, and he was stopped for no reason. His crime was, I call it Dweebeck, Dweebeck, D W B E C, driving while black in an expensive car. Driving while black in an expensive car. <laughs> that, that's it. I remember uh, being on a TV program with Montel Williams in New York City. He was telling me how he'd gotten himself one of those Hummers after the Iraq War. Uh, it just come out, a new vehicle then. And he was driving along, and cops stopped him, uh, no reason at all. And of course, one minute later, when they realized who he was, then they were asking him for tickets to his TV show. But uh, they were you know, already there, uh, two pounds upon him. And this is what they did here on Johnny Gamage in Pittsburgh. And uh, seven, eight cops, they didn't do a damn thing. And next thing he's dead, compression, asphyxiation, placing somebody down, face down, putting your knee on the chest, um, and I'm not permitting him to breathe. You know, you've seen this depicted in the George Floyd, right. the different versions of it, and and that's that's what they do: compression, asphyxiation. That's what that's what it's called, or or positional asphyxiation. Um, they're synonymous. And the police were never really, uh, you know, clamped down. None of the brutality seemed to uh, no, ever be prosecuted. No, 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 no. And that gets back to you know that first trial of mine. Uh, district attorneys. Uh, they, they don't like they they just you know they're 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 buddies you know they work with the cops all the time and uh, you know, it takes an awful lot to get a, a case charged many of these cases are then settled civilly for huge sums of money you never hear about that because they're they're confidential but uh, in the overwhelming number of cases no charges are ever brought right and you at the end of the book you had so many nice comments from a diverse amount of people, football players, fellow uh, doctors, attorneys, about your life. So it was really kind of a great part of the book that I enjoyed yes, reading. I'm very, I'm very proud of the fact that I've got some wonderful people who uh, make some nice comments, yes. And is there anything else you'd like to add, Dr. Weck, before No, we no, I think no. Okay. And I thank you. You're obviously um, um, well-versed and, uh, and knowledgeable in these matters. Well, no, I, I thank you very much for your time. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to discuss these cases with you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, too. Again, the title of the book is The Life and Deaths of Cyril Wecht, Memoirs of America's Most Controversial controversial Forensic Pathologist. Thank you so much, Dr. Wecht. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye -bye. All right. Mr. Ramsey, a pleasure. Have a great holiday. You as well. Happy holidays to you.